walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Welcome back to the Camino Podcast, everybody. I'm Dave Whitson, and no, I am not in Spain quite yet. Things did come together. We do have two more episodes for you before I get on that plane on Friday. So here we go with episode 21. This is a continuation of the series focused on rewalking the Camino Frances. Back in episode 15, we covered the opening six stages of the Camino, going from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port to Los Arcos, and today we're going to cover six more, and that's going to take us through three different regions in Spain. We start off in Navarra for Los Arcos, and as we proceed, we're going to move through La Rioja and then ultimately arrive in Castilla-Leon. And we're going to conclude today's portion in Burgos, one of the major cities along the Camino Frances. So apologies for leaving you stranded in Los Arcos ever since episode 15. That's a few more nights than you can usually take in the albergue, but I hope they were generous in uh, accommodating all of you. This is an international episode. I'm joined first by Deb Rausch of Melbourne, Australia, who's going to help take us from Los Arcos to Santo Domingo de la Calzada. And then after that, I'm joined by David Smith from Dublin, Ireland, who's going to pick us up in Santo Domingo and take us on to Burgos. So that's the plan. USA, Australia, Ireland, and Spain. Hope you like it. And as you listen, consider writing on the Facebook page for the Camino Podcast. It's facebook.com slash Camino Podcast. And share your own thoughts on these stages and give us some feedback, some suggestions of your own. Thanks, stay tuned, and enjoy. I'm speaking with Deb Rouse of Melbourne, Australia, and we're continuing the Rewalking the Camino Francais series by focusing on the stretch between Los Arcos and Santo Domingo de la Calzada. Thanks for joining with me to talk about this stretch, Deb. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to talk with you. It's great to have another Australian on. And tell me about your background on this particular stretch of the Camino. So I've walked the Camino three times mm-hmm. altogether. And I think this stretch is particularly fun for me because I did it three quite different ways. I think the first Camino, I wasn't very fit and I wasn't very prepared. Mm. I thought I was. I'd seen the movie twice. I looked at the movie and thought, well, that doesn't look too hard. It's not too up and down. Um, (laughs) And I forgot a little bit about editing. So the first time I passed between Los Arcos to Santo Domingo, I caught a taxi. I think I caught a bus for bits of it. Mm -hmm. I was walking really little distances. The second time I actually went back and was much fitter and walked pretty much all of the distance that I'd taken by bus and taxi the first time in a single day. So it was the Mm. longest day I'd ever walked on the Camino. And I just have such beautiful memories of of that stretch of countryside. Mm. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful part of the Camino. It's great. And we're wrapping up the the region of Navarra early on. And then we continue and we walk through La Rioja, which is famous around the world for its wine. So it's, it's wine country that we're walking through today. It is. And I remember, um, I think it was the second time coming into Azafra quite quite late in the day. The sun had almost gone down and I was walking in mid to late September. Mm-hmm. And the, they were actually out in the fields harvesting the grapes and hmm. the fields smelled three quarters of the way to red wine already. <laughs> it was just the most magical evening. And as the sun was going down and you could hear and you could you could smell this movement around you, 
That's awesome. So our first leg of this walk is from Los Arcos to Logroño. And there are, of course, a lot of people who don't stay in Los Arcos. They continue on to Torres del Rio. So depending on where people stop, it's either 28 kilometers to Logroño from Los Arcos or about 20 from Torres del Rio. What do you remember about the beginning of this walk? I love the, when you walk out of Los Arcos, it's this lovely long flat stretch and <laughs> you can see Torres del Rio, or maybe it's Sansol just yeah. before there, but y you can see the town. And it's one of those wonderful Camino towns that just seems to lurk on the horizon and never gets any closer. <laughs> and I remember that whole, I think it's only six or seven kilometres, but it just mm -hmm. It seems to be the same distance away almost the whole time. Um, and I kind of love that. I love the way these little towns sit on the top of the hill and, and just kind of tease you, I think. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I remember walking through there clear, sunny days. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I actually think that was where I had my sound of music moment and broke into song. I looked behind me and I looked in front of me. There was nobody there. And I'm pretty sure I sang the hills were alive that day because it felt like they were. And you're exactly right. It's San Sol. I remember the first time I walked, I was really bitter when I got there because my guide at the time didn't mention San Sol. So I thought, aha, I've made it. I've made it to the end of my walk. But no, because Torres del Rio is this odd little town where it's actually placed in a goalie. It's placed behind the hill, not on a typically defensible spot. So it's, it's a little odd in terms of the, the towns in this region. It is. And it, the other thing that I think really teases you about Torres, because I was staying there, I think, all three Caminos, mm -hmm. is you get to San Sol and you think, yes, as you said, I'm there. <laughs> and then you realise that you've got this really steep downhill and then you've got this really steep uphill <laughs> to get to any of the albergues. And you just think, but I want it to be done now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does mock you. It's just one kilometre between the two, but it's a very strenuous little kilometre. But Torres del Rio has this really neat little octagonal church and a, a really nicely preserved historic core. It's it's a really pretty little town, actually. And, and that church... I think has been open two of the, the times I've been through there and to be able to just stand inside there and, and admire the simplicity of it. I think my favourite of the churches along the way are those ones where it's they're old and they're simple and they're just so pretty mm -hmm. and you get a real sense of the history of, of the place. It's funny, in my memory, I, I'm like you, I've stayed most of my trips in Torres del Rio. I've only stayed in Los Arcos once. And so as I try to recall this next leg of the walk going about 10 kilometers to Viana, I have a hard time visualizing a lot of it. And I think that must be because I've often started out in the dark. <laughs> yes, I've, I've had the same experience. But I'll tell you, the thing I remember most about that walk is actually when you start to see Viana appear mm. and then you start to smell Vienna. I don't know if you've had this experience, but there is a chocolate biscuit factory <laughs> just on the edge of the town. And I know it's a chocolate biscuit factory because I actually asked someone when I got there, I thought, why does this town smell like biscuits? And they said, oh, it's the factory out there. For, for a pilgrim who starts early in the morning, as I've done and as mm -hmm. you've done, it's about the perfect place for second breakfast. <laughs> and you smell these biscuits long before you actually get your second breakfast. But it's a really enticing way of dragging you into what is a really pretty little town. Yeah, it's a beautiful hill town. And it's another one of those places that I had always walked through because I always wanted to just get to Logroño. And so the, my last time on the Francais, I actually stayed there. And again, just this great center of town, a little plaza around the church, really great old church ruins towards the, the back of the town. It's a great atmosphere there. 
It is, it is. And it's also such a, a, a bustling little hub. I think when I've come through there mid-morning, you just have a real sense. A lot of these little Spanish towns can be quite sleepy. You don't often see a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one had a wonderful vibe. It was like a bustling little town in the morning. And it also had, for me, the happy side effect of having a little, like a, a, an outdoors store. You could stock up on equipment and things mm. uh, just as you walk into the town, which was very handy. That is helpful. And it's probably most famous, actually, for the person who's buried there, Cesar Borgia, who was from the infamous Borgia family. And when fate turned against him, he fled to Spain. He was imprisoned there. He broke out of the prison and made a heroic stand here, essentially riding almost single-handedly with no backup against an army and was summarily run down but his body is buried right out in front of the church and uh, no small controversy over whether or not he deserves burial in or around the church that's a great story i I didn't know any part of that he's an infamous figure this is why i have to go back again i think for (laughs) all the things that i still don't know what a great story it's cool and it's one of those things where i i find the borgia family to be you know really fascinating i describe them as the first family of jerry springer you know there's there's a lot going on with that (laughs) family and we talk about them a lot more when we're walking to rome but it's cool to get a little bit of that uh, on the camino in viana from there it's uh, another you know 10 kilometers or so onto logroño and it's a bit of a meandering walk there's a odd little stretch of woods along the way and you're sort of winding around both sides of the highway en route to Logroño and but it's exciting to see that really large town that city um, emerge on the horizon it is and and I think by the time you or certainly by the time I got to Logroño I'd met so many people who had told me so much about the food culture in that city and yeah. and what to expect in terms of the laneways and the tapas and and the just again that really thriving sort of culture but again the beautiful open plazas and and that incredible cathedral that sits in the center of the plaza it's just it's a beautiful place to stop it's surprising it feels much more modern, I think, than a lot of the other cities and places along the way. You know, Burgos Leon, I th- you feel the history a bit more. Logroño feels pretty new. But at the same time, there is that magnificent cathedral in the center of town, another great church with the giant Santiago Matamoros sitting atop the horse with his sword in hand. So there's some really notable pieces of, of art even a painting by Michelangelo in the cathedral. So there's there's a lot going on in that city. It's a great reminder, I think, that cathedral. The first time I was there, I actually stayed overnight in Logroño and I never went into the cathedral. <laughs> and it was only, I think, a day afterwards that somebody told me about the Michelangelo and, and all the art and, and how beautiful it was. And it really made me stop and think about how important it is even though when you get to the end of the day, you just want to stop. Mm-hmm. Not to miss some of these beautiful things along the way and some of some of the, the stories and the history that you can kind of almost step past without noticing. But you are to be forgiven if you are inclined in Logroño to focus more on food. As you said, there's a lot to eat. There are a lot of options there. And after a stretch of walking where you haven't had a ton of facilities, you haven't had a ton of variety, it's pretty exciting to arrive. Oh, it's just extraordinary. And and I remember the, the night I was there the first time, uh, a German girl that I'd been walking with and I went out for dinner and we sort of progressed a little way along one of the laneways, but we kept bumping into people we knew mm-hmm. who were basically doing the very Spanish thing and bar hopping from, you know, we'll have this tapas in this restaurant and then we'll go next door and we'll have a drink and we'll have their specialty and then we'll go next door. <laughs> the potential is to have quite a large evening in Logroño if you're not careful, but it's great fun. 
it's it definitely a good spot to maybe take a rest day so you can sleep off your good night. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the completion of the first stage of this chunk of the Camino Frances. The second one, generally in the in the guides, goes from Logroño to Nahara. And it's a it's a long walk. It's about 30 kilometers. And it's, you know, maybe one of the less scenic stages of the early Camino, at least in, in my mind, though, the walk out of Logroño through the, the park is really quite lovely. Absolutely. And um, again, I think the last time I was there, I suffered from the early morning start as well. So Hmm. it wasn't until I was halfway across the park that I realized I was missing the beautiful park (laughs) because it was still really very, very dark. Yeah. But I think once you get out of the park and I guess through the first little town, which I think is Navaretta. Yeah. For me then, I remember lots of vineyards and lots of Mm. rolling hills covered in vineyard, which was very lovely. And again, walking through September, October, I don't think they were harvesting Mm. the last time I was there, but certainly the fields were just all the colours of of vineyard coming to the end of the season. So all the reds and golds. And it, it really, for me, was very, very pretty. And that's a good reminder as well that it's uh, important to think about the season people are walking when they're talking about it, right? For me, walking through here in July, it is a, a dusty, very brown walk. But I also do remember being there in May in rainy season and being struck by the colors along the way. So depending on the month, you have a very different experience on this route. That's very true. So I've walked it in April, May when it was very wet and then September, October, which for me is, is almost the perfect time because the weather seems to be quite stable. It doesn't rain too much, but it's also not too hot. And I think this particular stretch I remember as being not very treed, really. So no. there's not a lot of shade. So on a hot day, I think that's a stretch that you would really notice mm-hmm. quite a lot. Absolutely. You feel it. And uh, one other point is that there aren't a ton of stops along today's walk. So once you leave Logroño, you you basically have two towns or villages that you're passing through along the way. Navarrete is about 12 and a half kilometers from Logroño. And then it's another good distance, about seven or eight to Ventosa. So you don't have a lot of opportunities for coffee or snacks along the way. But Navarrete is a good break, a lovely town also perched on a hill with a really marvelous church where it's worth dropping a euro into the box to light up the retablo because that thing is gold on gold all the way from floor to ceiling. Wow. (laughs) And again, I think that's a church that I miss. Sometimes the challenge is that these churches aren't always open when you come through. Um, and particularly if you've if you've started early, you, last time I came to that town quite early in the day and the church was just completely locked up. It's such a bummer when that happens, right? When you, you know your guidebook is saying, you got to go in, you got to check it out. And then you have this painful decision. Do you sit and wait for an hour or two hours or just a question mark in the hope that someone will show up with keys or do you do you move on? Well, that's exactly right. And particularly, too, on a day like this, when you know that there aren't a lot of stops. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly remember wanting to keep moving and wanting to, to get to the next destination. So that was a day where, where perhaps I, I was less inclined to hang around. But as you say, that means you miss something quite spectacular. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's always that juggling of priorities. And the reality is that you have to take care of your body first and foremost. And if you're thinking about potentially being caught out in the hottest part of the day for another 17 kilometers, that's a steep price to pay for a pretty church when you know there are, you know, a lot of other pretty churches in front of you. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a quantity surveying exercise sometimes, I think. Well, I can miss this church, but I know there's a really good one there and I will see that one and somehow it will balance out in my mind. Yep. 
So from there, as you said, it's about 17 kilometers of beautiful, if it, you're there in the right season, vineyards leading you from Navarrete to Nahara with Ventosa as the one stop in between. Good place to stop for a coffee. And I know people who stay in the albergue there really do appreciate the experience. Look, I think it's a lovely little town. And if I remember correctly, there's a divergence of yes. the path. So you can choose to go there. And I know a lot of the people I was walking with or sort of around actually didn't realise that was the only stop and oh, kept on no. going, which means it is a full 17 kilometres to, <laughs> to the next place where there's coffee. The thing I remember about Ventosa, though, is I found an ice cream there. I bought an ice cream cone. <laughs> it was just, it was, I've never seen it. They don't make them here, although I am lobbying to have them here. <laughs> it was like a, a lemon-flavoured Cornetto. And I spent the entire rest of my Camino trying to find another one of these ice creams. <laughs> and I never did, but I never gave up. <laughs> so that that for me is the memory from that little that little tiny place was just the most refreshing wonderful ice cream on the entire camino. So wow. if anybody finds them I I would strongly recommend eat them eat them all. <laughs> <laughs> there are some towns that have been radically transformed by the recovery of the Camino de Santiago and I would put Nahara on the short list of towns that have been transformed the most because I have a vivid recollection of it my first time through and just felt like it was a dump. The river was in terrible shape. The buildings were decrepit. And now when you walk through the town and you go across the river, I, I just feel like it's a beautiful spot. The, the riverbank is grassy. There are trees. A lot of the, the buildings in the center have been recovered. It's a, it's a beautiful town. It, it's quite an extraordinary place. And I think when you come through, because it takes quite a long time to come through the town to get to the river. Yes. And as, as you come down and sort of come around the corner and there's this river vista open in front of you and, and that beautiful green grass and there's mm -hmm. all those little bars that sit along the riverbank where you can have dinner or you can meet up with friends. It is, it is just quite sublime, really. That's a place I would spend an extra day now, I think. And you have the cliffs behind it. It's just a, it's a, yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful spot. And there's the monastery in the center of town that's about a thousand years old. It's built into the caves where a Virgin Mary was discovered on, during a hunting trip. It's a great spot to visit and hang out. It is. And it's also a place that certainly when I was there last time, really filled up. I think yeah. there must have been a wave of pilgrims that I was... I didn't realize I was in and we got to town and it felt like the whole town just was completely full. And I think it was something that people really enjoyed. It was such a, a different experience and such a different place to what people were expecting. And that municipal albergue, it's everybody in one room, you know, so it's like, I don't, I don't remember how many beds, 80, 70, it's a lot of beds and it's all one room. I've never stayed there. I actually, two of the three times I've, I've been through, I've actually gone on a little further and stayed in Azafra. Yeah. So I've never seen the, the, the <laughs> municipal there. It's interesting to know. There's one pilgrim detour that is historically significant that's possible from here, but I don't believe there are any waymarks. And the one time I did it, it was quite exciting. It's about 25, 28 kilometers from Nahara to San Mian de la Cogoya, which is a pair of monasteries built uh, in the hills. And it's where I believe the earliest example of Castilian Spanish being written was discovered. So it's possible to walk along the river and then through the fields towards a crook in the hills. And uh, anyway, I don't recommend uh, I don't recommend people trying it without GPS. But if people ever want to try, a, you know, something that would get them away from the crowds, 
downloading the GPS tracks to walk out to San Mian de la Cogoya and then reconnecting with uh, Santo Domingo de la Calzada later, it can be a pretty memorable walk. And it's, it's definitely very much part of the pilgrim tradition. Wow, that sounds amazing. It's a, it's a good time. So something to, something to think about for the future. Yeah. So that's, um, that's where most people stop. But as you said, you continued and others do as well. Because in this last stage of the walk from Nahara to Santo Domingo, it's about 21 kilometers. If you just go about five kilometers further, you get to an albergue that a lot of people like in Azofra. Yeah, I came across it by complete accident the first time and mm-hmm. just fell in love with it. <laughs> and it's it's a municipal albergue that has just these tiny little rooms. They have like swinging, the, the old saloon style swinging doors, but full <laughs> floor to ceiling, but only two beds in, in these little tiny roomlets and neither of them are bunk beds. So you, <laughs> Paradise. you actually, it is, it's <laughs> extraordinarily comfortable. Yeah, Paradise. Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting thing when you can have relative privacy in an albergue. So that's uh, very memorable for a lot of people. And it does get you away from what is more typically a crunch point like Nahara into a, a quieter village where there's still some resources. There are a couple grocery stores and bars. So you still have some stuff. There's a good kitchen and uh, and yeah, pretty comfortable spot. And it's got a nice courtyard out the front too. So there's there's actually a nice place where you can you know, sit and chat to people. I've I've met really interesting people there each time I've stayed because it's the kind of place where you can just relax and chill. You don't necessarily have to go off and look for somewhere else to, to sit and relax. This entire stage, about 20 kilometers, is almost entirely on dirt roads going through agricultural fields, some really nice rolling hills, definitely great during during wine season, but I think it's always a, a pretty memorable stretch of country walking. I agree. I think particularly when you come out of Azofra and you come, you sort of walk out of the town and, and come down the hill a little bit through the, the vineyards, there's been roadworks um, in the distance, I think, well, I think all the times I've been through there. And it's been interesting watching how that slowly progressed over the three years <laughs> or so. But then coming up into Siruenya, yeah. um, which is just the strangest place. So you come out of this incredibly beautiful pastoral countryside into this ghost town that's like the suburb that they built that nobody ever wanted. It's very strange. It's a good reminder of America's real estate bubble, right? The specially manufactured village that nobody buys and it's right next to a golf course right so you're passing by the edge of a golf course and this ghost town as you said and it's unlike anything else on the camino it is and it's quite quite ghostly in a way i think um and a lot of people stop at the golf course because again the second breakfast story it's a good place to to have a coffee and it's very lush and it's very modern and it kind of makes you think that the town is going to be something really interesting (laughs) And then there's just streets and streets of houses all for sale and like literally all for sale Yeah. and playgrounds and, you know, I think there's even a little swimming pool, but it's all <laughs> just, it's like the aliens came and took all the people away. There's just nobody there. It's very bizarre. It's an odd spot. So for me, it's a spot to sort of walk through and move on because Santo Domingo de la Calzada is right in front of you. And that is a a great spot to get to. It's a good reward for pushing on. It is. It's such a great town. I've had some of the best memories of getting to that town and relaxing. And it's just, 
it's so beautiful. Again, it's got lovely history. The church is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a fun place. It's a town that is just so intertwined with the pilgrimage. You know, you have the old Pilgrim's Hostel that is now a parador. You have the cathedral. The legends about it are, are intertwined very much with the pilgrimage. The entire center of the town is historic. It's been incredibly well preserved. So when you are there, I imagine it looks pretty similar to how it would have looked 800 years ago. Those beautiful, narrow little laneways that Mm -hmm. are just wonderful for exploring. And on a very prosaic note, I think the other thing that really stood out for me is it has a laundromat. (laughs) There is a little laundromat right next to the big albergue. And, you know, for a couple of euros in an hour, you can literally tip your pack into the washing machine and then turn it into the dryer and you come away with everything clean. I remember a great feeling of comfort when I realized that all my three pairs of socks were clean and dry at the same time. I think it was the first (laughs) time it happened on the Camino. That is a good feeling. And this town is, of course, famous for the, the legend associated with it of the, uh, the miracle of the, of the roasted chickens, the, the chickens that dance on the, the plate of the skeptical mayor who has punished the innkeeper's son for a crime that he was unjustly charged with by a scorned aspiring lover. Yes, um, I have to say that's the one thing I have not seen. I've in three visits <laughs> or three times through Santo Domingo, I have managed to somehow miss the opportunity to go into the church every single time. So How? I have not How did that happen? seen. I <laughs> do you know long and complicated stories each time. Yeah, but again, it's another thing. You know, I I must go back. I will have to go and do another Camino <laughs> because I seriously need to see the chickens. Oh my gosh. The chicken coop is right there inside the church, and they, the backup chickens are kept over at the albergue, the Casa del Santo, so they're a big part of the entire operation. It's a great spot, and you know, Santo Domingo, the, the man for whom the town is named and who really built the town, he built the, the bridge that you cross over the next day, though of course it's been um, modified over the years, and he's credited with essentially clearing the road for the next about 40 kilometers of the walk. So you get a sense of just how difficult transportation was in the Middle Ages when you realize that you could become a saint or a really important person just by helping to clear the road, take care of it, or build a bridge. Any of those things, and you'd made a massive difference in your world. Well, I suppose when you think about the number of people who were coming, perhaps later, but people coming through those yeah. parts of Spain, you know, it makes a massive difference to people. And I guess the fact that the pilgrims come through helps to build the infrastructure that then everyone in the local communities relies on as well. So, you know, it's, it's a very intertwined relationship. It's a huge impact. One of the things I want you to look for when you finally get inside the cathedral, this is one of those things that I didn't notice the first time through, didn't notice the second time through, But on the Trascoro, which is part of the wall separating the choir from the main church, there's a huge painting that narrates the life of Santo Domingo. So there are like eight panels, and it runs through everything from sort of his emergence, the miracle of the hanged innocent, all the way through to him caring for pilgrims uh, much later in his life. But there's one thing that I've always enjoyed since I discovered it. There's a scene where there's a dog... And the dog has a hand in its mouth. The story goes that the dog discovered this hand and took it to Santo Domingo, who then prayed for the person who lost the hand. But what I like about the hand is you can tell that the person who painted it actually messed up originally. 
and drew a thumb coming off the wrong side of the hand so that it wouldn't <laughs> match with the body that was missing the hand. And so the person just painted the other thumb on and then put some black paint or some dark paint over the improperly painted thumb, but not nearly enough to cover it up. So you can actually take note of the six-fingered hand in the dog's mouth. That's, that's, that's one of my highlights. <laughs> oh, see, that is, that is just too good. I'm going to have to go back to look for that now. <laughs> I, I just imagine that, you know, the guy's just getting paid by the painting. So why, why worry too much about fine details, right? You'd like to think maybe he was paid by the finger and he was just trying to get a little bit of extra money. <laughs> That's even better. Well, here we are. We've arrived at the the end of this stage of the Camino Frances. So we've we've made it out to Santo Domingo. We've made it to the end of La Rioja and to the end of of our conversation, really. So thanks, Deb, for helping me rewalk this part of the Camino Frances. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to talk. It's been great. I'm talking with David Smith from Dublin, Ireland, who is the author of the Clear Skies Camino blog, and he's joining me to talk about the stretch of the Camino Frances from Santo Domingo de la Calzada to Burgos. Thanks for talking with me about this, David. Not a problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Just for the listeners, what is your background with the Camino Frances? Dave, I would consider myself to be an accidental pilgrim. Hmm. Um, the reason for that is because if it wasn't for uh, a little leaflet given to me by my father to walk the final stage from Saria to Santo Domingo in, a in aid of a very, very good cause, I don't think I would be talking to you and I don't think I would be walking the Camino de Santiago over a number of years. After walking the final stage from Saria to Santiago, I came home and I decided to reflect on what I have done. and. I really, really wanted to do it again. I thought about it and I said, oh, okay, there's more to this than just a walk of four or five days. So I went online, I signed up to various forums, I signed up to the Irish Camino uh, Society as well, and I knew a few people as well who had, who had walked it. So I got a lot of information about it. The next year I walked from Lyon to Saria, mm -hmm. the year after that I walked from Le Grogno to Lyon, and the year after that I walked from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port right through Belorado. I'm walking Compostela to finish there this September. It's always good to get back uh, every every uh, year, just to give your uh, feet, um, just to let your feet do a bit of thinking, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you've you've done it in in short pieces, just sort of fitting yes. it in around work, and uh, and that's been that's been a good experience for you. Absolutely, I think it's a if, for myself anyway. There's a lot of people out there that like to do it the whole the whole thing in one go, but for me, I, I find it hard with just to to do the whole thing in one go with with work, etc. So let's jump into this stretch. The first leg of, of this chunk of the route typically goes to about Bailorado. That's how the Briarly Guide advises it. It's yeah. about 23 kilometers from Santo Domingo. So take me back to your experience waking up in Santo Domingo de la Calzada. Where do you sleep and, and what do you recall of the walk out that day? 
I slept in the Cofradia del Santo Albergue. Um, this is the large albergue that you'll see to the to the right as you come into um, Santo Domingo de la Casada. Yeah, it's like 180 beds, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm typically a very light sleeper, so I, once, <laughs> um, once I wake up, I kind of make a move, and I like to get up early and get ready and, and, and head for the door. Mm-hmm. I was greeted uh, when I woke up by heavy rain, mm. so went out the door, put on my poncho and my rain gear, and started walking out. It, it wasn't a pleasant walk, let me just tell you that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's not a lot of fun in the rain. That track can get a bit muddy in places along the way. You can sink down a couple inches as you travel yeah, along. Absolutely, and the previous two days were exactly the same as well. So I was kind of used to that weather, you know, that that trudging along, and it takes a lot out of you, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, I had met a lot of people though the the, the night before in that albergue. There was a, a good few people that I had struck up a friendship with straight away. There was a, an Irish college uh, staying in, in the <laughs> albergue. Wow. So we kind of got to know each other very well in that albergue. They, they, they asked me to come along and have dinner with them. Uh, so that was really, really good for them to, to offer that dinner with them. So moving out, I met, uh, first of all, I met a friendly uh, German man. And for the life of me, I still can't remember his name. But um, I walked with him for about five or ten minutes and... He hadn't got a word of English, but we still struck up this bond, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. um, we still got some sort of communication going in broken English. And uh, after about 10 minutes, or, uh, 10 minutes or so, he just told me, he said to me, go, you are too fast, go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I wandered on and I came to the lovely, lovely town of Granyon. Yeah. Now, I, you you probably know yourself that Granyon is a special, special town. It's a great place, and it's one of the nice things about this stretch of walking. You know, I think a lot of people focus on the the early few days in the Pyrenees yeah. coming to Pamplona, and then a lot of times people just immediately jump ahead and think about the Meseta. But this stretch is really closely linked with the pilgrimage a lot of very historic places and great pilgrim hospitality and it starts with sano domingo and it very much continues with grañon absolutely absolutely now there was nothing happening by the time i was at grañon it was completely dead Mm. so i I moved on to the next town which was um redicilia del camino so I had a bit of breakfast there and met up with the elderly German man again. We, we <laughs> talked about the weather <laughs> and uh, moved on. And it, it was there after that that I, I met some more fabulous people and I, I struck up a good friendship with a Dutch girl and I've kept friendship with her right up to this day. So it's, it's these kind of bonds that, that stick yeah, a rainy day where it could be miserable, but instead you start making all of these connections with people in the same position along the way. Yeah, yeah. That, as well as that, that, this stretch here as well, it hugs the highway. Yeah. So what I tended to do was look to the left to me as much as I could because <laughs> you could see the green and, and the growth to the left of you. But if you look to the right, it's just a big, big, long highway with big juggernaut trucks flying past you no matter where you looked so that was probably the only downside really i suppose see when you hike with teenagers you periodically get them in the in the mindset of gesturing at all the giant trucks as they go by to honk their horn and so (laughs) that that adds an an orchestra but the one the one advantage of this stretch uh is that 
you do have stopping points really quite regularly. So it's mm. six kilometers to Grañón, yes. four kilometers to Redesilla. You've got a couple more small villages along the way, Castillo Delgado, Viloria de la Rioja, Via Mayor yep. del Rio. So it just, it, it, it definitely breaks up the potential monotony with some really nice villages. Yes, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Like I, I've stayed in uh, one of those villages you mentioned there, Espinosa del Camino, in, hmm. in, but there's literally nothing in that town. Yeah. All you have there is uh, a casa rural, a restaurant, and the albergue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is fabulous. The, the love that the people that live there give to the peregrinos that walk by, you don't get that anywhere else. So it's one of these towns that I think I will stay again to go back. So Yeah, my last time on the Frances, I stayed for the first time in Via Mayor del Rio, which is about 18 kilometers from Santo Domingo. And we stayed in the Albergue San Luis, which is uh, kind of what you've just described. There's an albergue there, and there's not much else. There is a restaurant, and i got to tell you the story. There's a restaurant. It's on the highway. And, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while, there's a, a restaurant that's on the Camino, but definitely does not exist to serve pilgrims most of them do but some of them don't and so this one made it very clear outside like don't bring your backpacks anywhere near this building you dirty pilgrims not quite in those words but so i had a group of three or four people with me three students and my co-leader and we just figured we'd drop in get some food for lunch and so we walk in the front door and it is the creepiest restaurant I've ever been in. We knew it was trouble when we walked in the front door and in the mm. entryway, in the foyer, there was a crib filled with baby dolls for oh. no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> and then we walk in and it, the restaurant, it's almost like a movie set. It's filled with all sorts of stuff. So merchandise and, and food, but oh. n- no real places to actually sit. And, and the bartender didn't actually talk to us, so okay, <laughs> we, we just stared at each other awkwardly for one minute, and that's, then that's real. <laughs> so I just I don't know if we caught him on a bad day. I you know I don't want to encourage other pilgrims to go there, but I'd be really curious to hear what other people's experiences are with this absolutely. highway restaurant in Via Mayor del Rio. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and. There's another albergue as well that I might actually let your les- listeners know of as well. Yeah. It's in a small little town of Villaria de, de, de Rioja, and it's on that same stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's owned by uh, a couple called Jasio uh, and Orieta. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, it's in that small little town. I think you, you have to book ahead for this place because the, the demand to stay there is so high. Hmm. If you just randomly turn up and look for a bed in this place, you, you will not find one because it will be booked up well in advance. It is a Donativo, mm-hmm. so uh, it's something to, for your listeners to think about. Hmm. That's a great option, and yeah. especially for people who aren't as drawn to bigger places because most pilgrims along this stretch will stay in Bailorado, and that's mm-hmm. where most of the guidebooks uh, yeah. suggest breaking up the stages, and there are certainly a lot of beds in Bailorado. I had avoided Bailorado through my mm. first few times on the Frances. I stayed there in the, uh, gosh, what's the name? Albergue a Santiago, the f- first place okay. at the entrance to town. There's a swimming pool. Exactly. But my, I just vividly remember my first time walking through Bailorado and being struck by the fact that there were like 
swastikas spray-painted on seven or eight buildings around town, and it just felt kind of de- decrepit. Oh. I think I've been unfair to Bailarado over the course of my, my time with the Camino, and I know you've stayed there a couple of times, so, so yeah. tell me about the virtues of Bailarado. For me, Bailarado is one of the highlights of the Camino. Yeah. Um, along with another uh, other few towns that are further down the line, there's one town or one albergue that really hits it for me. That would be Quattro Cantones. Mm-hmm. Now, I stayed in Quattro Cantones twi- twice, and it's just that they give 150% to the people that stay in that place. Hmm. Um, I stayed in there on my first Camino, and I returned by the, the week, the, the year after. Okay, I said to the owner in 2014, Hi, you might remember me. I stayed here uh, last year. We were here with a big group of college students from Ireland. Do you remember us? Yes, yes, yes. That was our busiest day of the year. <laughs> and she gave me a hug straight away. Yeah. So it's that, those kind of small little things that, that really kind of make you want to say, oh, these kind of places, you know, mean a lot to you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much to do as well there. And there's so, so many places to visit and stay there as well. So if you don't want to stay in an albergue, there are other places. Like there's a great Casa Rural there, mm-hmm. Casa Waslala, which is owned by a couple. I stayed there myself in my, on my previous Camino uh, last May. And uh, they were fabulous to me. So mm. I personally wouldn't knock it myself. But yeah. a, it's just one of those towns that really, really make the Camino worthwhile. I, I think it's illustrative of the challenges in, in just listening to any one person's experience, right? Because yeah. you never yeah. know what their day was like. I may have caught Bailarado at a bad time. You know, mm. one teenage knucklehead with a can of spray paint, <laughs> you know, on one night, <laughs> probably single-handedly tanked my impression of that town for, you know, five years. Whereas you have one this really great experience with an Hospitalero and it really positively disposes you towards that town moving forward. And I'd be more inclined to see it your way than my way, but you know, either one of us, it's really influenced by this sample of one. Well, absolutely. Like I, I wasn't in the greatest of form coming in that, that, that day that my, the first time I stayed in Colorado, I walked in after walking through five hours of muck and puddles <laughs> and, and rain and, it was only there and then that the sun started to shine. So you can take what you want out of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the, the end of the first stage uh, mm. along this walk. The second one generally will go to either San Juan de Ortega or Ajes. Um, San Juan de Ortega is about 25 kilometers. Ajes is maybe 27 and a half. Some people will hoof it a few kilometers further to Atapuerca. So different people break up this next yeah. leg of the walk differently. What are your thoughts? The way I see it is, it really depends on how much you want to see of Burgos. Mm. If you really want to see a lot of Burgos, really go for it. Try and get as much walking in as, uh, as you can and make it to Ajes or Atapuerca. And next day, you won't have much of a walk. You have 18, 19 kilometers and you have a lot more time in, in Burgos to mm-hmm. do a bit sightseeing, to meet friends, etc. You and I see things similarly on that point. I, yeah. I've often yeah. marched into Atapuerca in order to maximize that time in Burgos. Let's go back to the start of this walk, because the first eight kilometers or so from Bailarado are very similar to the previous day's walk. Similar terrain through agricultural fields, 
passing through Tosantos, the place that you mentioned before, Espinosa del Camino, and then arriving in Via Franca Montes de Oca. And the one thing that I can say about this eight kilometer stretch is actually further than that. Sorry, it's probably about 11 or 12. 12. Yeah, yeah, 12. Yeah. Is I wish one of the few places that I regret never having stayed is Tosantos in the albergue there, both to stay in the albergue where the hospitality is supposed to be great, and mm. also to be able to go visit the, uh, the hermitage the Ermita de Nuestra Señora de la Peña, which is in the rock, hacked into the rock on the cliff's face to your right as you walk through town. And that's, I feel exactly the same as you. <laughs> Do you know what? Whenever I stay in Belorado, Tosantos is still sleeping. And mm -hmm. I often walk past that place, the church in the rock, and I'm saying to myself, oh, you yeah. know, if only I, I walked on four or five extra kilometers, I'd see this. And, you know, I, I've said, to me, said that to myself twice, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's something to do the next time uh, <laughs> is walk that little bit further and stay on the Santos. And then you can see that beautiful church, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yes, what you said there, it's, it's pretty much the same as the previous day. It's along the highway. You're walking through rural roads as well. Uh, and you're passing through small little villages that really are nothing save for a church and a few buildings. I've stopped for, for a bite to eat in Espinosa del Camino, which mm -hmm. is a lovely little town. It's also fantastic if you happen to be here in spring. I'd say this is probably the, the epicenter of, of poppies on the Camino. So Correct. if you can catch them in full bloom, it's pretty glorious. Correct, yeah. Now I've walked my Caminos in May and I, I walked during September as well. So September was pretty much all the fields were, were cut up, you know, the, the farmers had done their job. So mm -hmm. there was nothing in the fields at that stage. But in May, the wind were doing, was, was doing its job. So, it was, <laughs> it was, so. so after those first 12 kilometers or so, yeah, you get this surprising little stretch of pretty sharp hills. And again, often overlooked when people talk about the Camino. They think about the yeah. mountains early on. They think about the mountains after the Meseta. But you have the Montes de Oca here, and you've got about 12 kilometers of pretty steady climb. It is a tough climb. It's, it's something you need to read up about beforehand. What I would say as well is to bring a lot of water for this stretch, because mm. if you're unprepared, you've got three hours of, of climb <laughs> and walk through a forest as well with no water. It's tough going. It's the reason that some people prefer to stay in Via Franca Montes de Oca so that they can right. have that pill, that climb first thing in the morning. The history there is really interesting. You know, during the Spanish Civil War, when Franco's side was establishing control, they were routinely kidnapping people, killing them, and then dumping their bodies out here in the Montes de Oca. So that's why when you walk about, you know, halfway through, two thirds of the way through, you yeah. come across this this almost random memorial. It's on a dirt road. It feels like it's yeah. in the middle of nowhere, but it's to commemorate those who were, were killed during the Civil War in this area. Absolutely, yeah. It's, all, it's always nice to have those uh, memorials uh, laid on the Camino as well. So a lot of people uh, stop off there for a few moments to think about it. And after that strenuous walk, 12 kilometers through the hills, through the trees, you come across this place that I, I think is easy to feel like it, it looks pretty similar to how it would have a very long time ago. So San Juan de Ortega, the monastery and all of the monastic property surrounding it. It is this little island uh, in the middle of nowhere, and it, it does preserve a lot of its, uh, its medieval feel. It's a lovely, lovely place. 
I stayed like well, I didn't stay, but I stopped off here for a while. Had a had a bite to eat, had had a drink, a nice cool cerveza. But I don't think myself it's something a sort of place I would stay. It's it's a little too basic for me. There's not many not much services there as well. So I would um, recommend people to to walk on to the next um, town, either Ajez or Atapuerca. Yeah, you have you have a couple options there. So if you want the really mm. rustic medieval feel, you can stay there. And that albergue yeah. has been taking care of people for a long time. For a very it's long awesome. time, there was a, a priest there who was famous for his garlic soup. So the, that tradition continues. And there's the one bar in town that can provide right. meals. If you want something more, it's not a hard walk, uh, leaving the monastery behind and going, you know, two and a half, three kilometers. It's flat. It's easy after what you've just done. That is correct. It's flat. And you've stayed in, in Ajes. What do you like about it? I haven't actually stayed in Ajes. No, oh, you haven't? Okay. No, I haven't. No, no, no. Um, I had planned to stay in Ajes, yeah. um, but none of the albergues had opened at the time I arrived. Uh, I did a bit of research beforehand, and I said to myself, okay, well, you know, that'll be a nice place to stay, one, one of the albergues. I think it was the municipal one. I was there waiting for about 10, 15 minutes or so, and I just decided, well, why not move on? No <laughs> harm Moved on and uh, caught up with uh, some of the people that I had met the night before and uh, had a great time in El Peregrino, El Peregrino um, Albergue, um, which is in Atapuerca. Mm. Which is, again, very similar to the argument for just continuing from Ajes. It's just a couple kilometers more down the road. It's flat. That's it's easy. And so yeah. off you go. And, and Atapuerca is famous for having one of the earliest discoveries of human remains in Europe. Yeah, That's anywhere between 127,000 and a million years old in the Atapuerca Massif. Correct. Yeah, that's right. And it is very famous. A lot of people do tend to take an extra day off and go and explore the, the site um, as well. But it's something to be something to be wary as well. That you can only do the arranging while in Burgos. You can't actually do it in Atapuerca itself. You need to go into Burgos and do the arranging before going out to the Sierra to Atapuerca. Oh, really? I had no idea. Uh, that's seems like uh, a pain. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, that's too bad. Atapuerca otherwise uh, does have a few albergues. I've stayed in Albergue La Juta, um, which is uh, an old building there that's been in and out of business for the last 10 years or so. Every once in a while it closes, shifts to new ownership, and then comes back. It's pretty basic, but it gets the job done. And, you know, there's a small grocery store in, in Atapuerca. There's a couple restaurants. It's it's about as, as, as good as you get facilities-wise in this stretch. It's got everything you need there, to be honest. Um, I stayed in the uh, El Peregrino albergue, which is basically in the, in the center of the town. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'll see it as you come into the square. It's very, very basic. It's, it's really a set of prefabs, really, if you think about it. But we're not living in on, in five star, <laughs> not going to five star hotels or anything like that. So you, you expect basic when you go on the Camino. And that leaves us with one day's walk left from Atapuerca or wherever people may have stayed onto Burgos. It's about 20 kilometers from Atapuerca to Burgos. And there's not too much to talk about with this walk, I think. I didn't find it that well. I. Absolutely. Every, every stage is interesting, but there's not much to, to write home about. Um, I, I got up pretty early this day. The reason for that is because I, I wanted to get into the town to see, into Burgos to see as much as I could. And I think one of the other great reasons to get out early is to climb up on top of that little hill next to Atapuerca yeah. 
to get to where that labyrinth has been made on top of the hill and then to watch that sunrise behind yeah. you it's a glorious spot to to it's watch the sun come up absolutely absolutely the, the the top of the hill there after that climb and you can read the, the spanish inscription on the sign um and then watch the sun rise and as well as that you can see the, the, the lights of burgos as well in the distance in the far distance so you kind of know where you have to go <laughs> <laughs> and one of the big developments over the last probably five years is there actually is a place to stop along the way now in the past you pretty much had nothing once you left atapuerca but now some industrious people in Cardenuela, about six kilometers away, have set up a really just efficient modern cafeteria that just does a lot of pilgrim business early in the morning with breakfast. It wasn't the only one. There was another place in uh, Orbaneja, yeah. Uh, Rio Rico. Yeah, that's right. That, that have a, a small little albergue there. And the one other thing to note is that there are multiple ways to get into Burgos. So after you get past Orbaneja, you'll eventually take a, a bridge across a, a large freeway, the N1, and then you have a couple options. You can go straight and basically follow the highway directly into town. You can turn left and work your way around the back of the airport and buy a, a minor dump and uh, eventually work your way towards a river, which is uh, which is a bit more appealing, but still not especially scenic. I think probably following the river is probably the most appealing option, really. Yeah. Uh, any of the walks into Burgos, are, are, they're not any, anything to write home about, to be honest, uh, Dave. So um, <laughs> I, my first time uh, walking into Burgos, I took the most tedious route, which was the, the walk through the industrial estate. And I, I don't think I'm going to do that again. And then again, last year, I walked along the river mm -hmm. down uh, through Rio Pico. And that was that was lovely even though it was long. So it was, a, it was a fine walk. And then after all of that work, um, you finally do get into Burgos, which is something probably to write home about. Absolutely. <laughs> what, are your, what are your favorite aspects of Burgos? First thing I see, it depends on which way you're coming from, because if you're coming from walking through down by the river, mm -hmm. the first thing you're going to see is the large the spires of the huge Gothic cathedral down by the river. If you're coming through the industrial estate, you're not going to see anything until you arrive at the albergue. You've got a bit of walking to do before you see the actual cathedral itself. So if you come down by the river, you're going to see the cathedral for, I'd say, about two or three kilometers. And what a sight. Then you turn, you take a right, you cross the bridge, and then you come to the archway with El Cid in all his glory there, standing tall, waiting for us to, to walk underneath him. What a sight. It's a beautiful place, and the cathedral is intense. It is about as elaborate and intricate as any building along the Camino de Santiago. Absolutely. And I've done my best to try and visit as many churches and cathedrals as I could you know, on all my Caminos. Um, that would by far top it. Obviously, the cathedral in Santiago is, is up there, but the cathedral in Burgos is one of my favorites. It's an amazing sculpture. I, I spent a, a good while in there. It only costs €2.50 uh, with a credential mm -hmm. to go in, and you can hire out one of those translators, and uh, you can uh, listen to all the history as you walk through it. So definitely worthwhile to go in and have a listen and have a look around. There's plenty of other stuff to see and do in Burgos. If you want to have a day off, it's a great day for a day off. You can go up to the, the castle ruins, although 
don't get too excited. You're not really going to see much of anything that resembles a castle up there. But it's good for uh, for a view of the city. And I, I think the the river, they've really developed it nicely to make it a great place to, to hang out nice. under some shade and on some grass. So, so that's a great place to spend a couple of hours eating some Absolutely. ice cream. Absolutely. And, and the, the albergue as well. So, like, that, that's, that's, oh, that's very, very modern as well. So, you know, that's one of the best albergues I've stayed in with regard to being modern. So, I really enjoyed my stay there, my two stays in, in the municipal albergue. But um, I, I do understand that a lot of people like to, to get a, a day's rest and stay in more plush accommodation there. Yeah, for sure. Well, David, we've come to the end of our stage of the Camino Frances. It's been a pleasure, Dave. Yeah, it's fun talking it through with you. And you have a really active blog, so let people know where they can find you. Absolutely. You can find my blog on www.clearskiescamino.com. Um, I will be updating it soon while I get ready for my Camino Finisterre, which takes place on the 1st of September. So I expect quite a few posts uh, in the near future. One of the great things about this part of the Camino Frances is you found your rhythm in most cases. The first week of walking can be really jarring. Your body's shaken and sore. The whole lifestyle is unfamiliar and new. And it's easy in those early days to be besieged by doubts, to question whether you really have what it takes to make it all the way to Santiago. But after a week, you've weathered the storm. You know what to do in the albergue. You find the way marks more intuitively without quite as much fear of getting lost. You have a feel for the flow of the day, what you're going to do partway into the walk, where you're going to get your second breakfast, what you're going to do in town after you've hand-washed your laundry. All of that is becoming more routine, and as a result, I think, you feel a little bit more like a pilgrim. And what better place for a pilgrim to be than in Santo Domingo de la Calzada at the center of this walk? It's, uh, it's a real highlight, and you can see that all through this stretch. We just had so many places to highlight where the accommodation, the hospitality is special and notable. So I hope you, when you set foot in these different stages, you really can savor that feeling of being a pilgrim, of not being on vacation, not traveling, but living, of being settled into that lifestyle and really coming to know it, having it be a central part of who you are for this week and the weeks still to follow. That's it for this episode, episode 21. Thanks to Deb Rausch and David Smith for joining me to talk about these different stages of the Pinot Francais. Remember that you can find David on his blog at clearskiescamino.com. As always, you can find us in a bunch of different locations, so facebook.com slash podcast, on northerncaminos.com, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and you can write us at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com. And well, that's it for this episode. I'm going to have another episode up right 
soon after. So stay tuned as well for episode 22. Thanks for listening.